Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kanal, uh, your host, and today we're here with Assemblymember Ash Kalra, uh, a California State Assemblyman representing the 27th District, um, who's also the first Indian American to serve in the California State Legislature, a longtime progressive activist. Uh, you'll often see him around our revolution meetings, and you know that's where I got to know him. <laughs> but, but thank you so much, Assemblymember, uh, for coming on the show. I understand you're a little bit busy these days. Oh, yeah. We're, we are busy, I'm busy, we're winding down the final uh, couple of weeks of our legislative session, of course, still dealing with the pandemic and so many other issues, wildfires, so uh, it's always busy in this, in this line of work, though. <laughs> of course, and that's a good problem. Um, but yeah, let's, let's move into these questions. Uh, for the first one, talk a little bit about your background, you know, how you got into this, and talk about how your uh, education, any higher education you've had, kind of prepared you for your current, you know, responsibilities. Yeah, so I, I grew up in South San Jose and went to public school there, Oak Grove High School, uh, went on to community college at De Anza, UC Santa Barbara, then went to law school at Georgetown, and, um, you know, the whole time I was kind of growing up, uh, particularly when I was in um, high school, uh, I really felt a calling towards service. That sounds cheesy, but it really kind of put me in a kind of different category than a lot of my friends that kind of were very motivated and knew exactly what they wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I, I was given this opportunity. Um, what I like to call is the, the wealth of having options. Uh, and I, I wanted to use that uh, opportunity use those options to to serve and, and at that time uh, I didn't exactly know what it meant I just knew that I was going to continue to search for opportunities to serve and I, and I did throughout my academic career and ultimately uh, when I left law school and, and the next year started working as a deputy public defender and that really uh, is the foundation for my career 11 years there is the foundation of my career in service and um, really was uh, the, the ideal job for me in many ways, but it also was a great education for me in terms of going into elected office uh, with the same mindset that I had as, as in terms of why I wanted to be a public defender in, in serving um, in indigent uh, clients, in terms of standing up for the constitution, and in terms of pushing back against our carceral system. Uh, at the time, California being the mass incarceration capital of the world. Right. Yeah, no, that's a pretty good story, uh, <laughs> if I might add. Um, but why, I guess you have, you have a, you know, a previous law history, you're obviously a public defender, um, and why take on the mantle of being an elected official? Why take the political route? Why run for office and get involved? You know, what, what drew you to that calling? I was actually never drawn to be an elected official, but what happened was, as I was working as a public defender, I was involved in a lot of other things in terms of different nonprofits. I was on the Bar Association Board, South Asian Bar Association, a number of other nonprofit boards that are in service. I started teaching at Lincoln Law School and San Jose State University. I was teaching race and the law and teaching law in the black community. Uh, and then I got on the Human Rights Commission for the city, then the Planning Commission. I started a neighborhood association where I lived. So it was all these different activities that kind of pushed me towards running for city council particularly being a public defender though, because uh, I, I would visit you know, with my clients or their families, I would visit crime scenes, you name it, you know, things, things you have to do to prepare for trial. 
uh, and I saw the neighborhoods and I saw what the neighborhoods had and more importantly, what they didn't have. And that lack of representation, the, the lack of infrastructure, lack of jobs, uh, not the same quality of parks or access to parks and on and on and on. And I felt even though I loved my job as a public defender that it was important to look at other opportunities to serve that can serve the broader community and hopefully ultimately prevent more of my clients and their family members, maybe their kids or next generation from being caught up in the criminal justice system and creating a greater social safety net and, and a greater neighborhoods, better neighborhoods, better quality of life for all families, not just those that have means. Right, yeah, no, equity and equality. Um, as a current elected official, um, you know, obviously you do a lot of great work, um, you know, as progressives, we, we, we kind of look up to that. What are the core objectives, the, the policy agenda that you take in when, when you're in session? You know, what are you fighting for, for your district, for the state of California? You know, my life of service, whether it was in the public defender's office, whether it's teaching or in elected service, whether it's city hall in San Jose City Council or, or in the assembly, uh, boils down to two words, reduce suffering. And that's always been kind of my internal mantra. Uh, and that's what I try to do in my role uh, in the state legislature. Uh, that could mean bringing more resources to the community. It could mean um, giving workers uh, more rights and, and empowering workers. It can mean um, standing up for undocumented community. Um, it, it can mean pushing back against environmental degradation and on and on and on. At the end of the day, I want to make life easier for the community I represent and for all Californians, not just for those that have money, not just for those that have stock options, not just for those that um, have more influence because they can write big campaign checks, but those that are forgotten or aren't heard or those that can't show up to town halls because they're working two jobs and taking care of their kids or those that while I'm sheltering at place in, in my home during COVID, uh, I can do that because of farm workers or because of grocery, grocery store workers or because of nurses and firefighters, or because those that are delivering, you know, food and the truckers, and on and on and on. We have to have a recognition that um, nobody in our society is successful or has a sense of security and safety uh, because of just their own skills, talents, and, and what have you. It's it's quite the opposite. Uh, I always felt lucky uh, because, uh, you know, my my family, my father, grew up in very different circumstances and was able to give me a life uh, you know, that uh, allowed me to not have to worry about food on the table or rent. Uh, and those are things that aren't the reality for far too many San Jose residents, far too many Californians. And rather than advocate for those that have, uh, I think it's more important for me to recognize that uh, I, I want more people to have that same stress-free environment as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely understand that perspective. And especially at the local level, you know, that's that's where you can, you know, implement that change. Um, you know, I like to say I've run a several, I've run several campaigns, you know, no biggie. Um, but let's let's kind of circle back. Let's talk about 2020. Um, it was uh, an insanely crazy, hectic, and, uh, you know, it almost seemed insurmountable at some point. Um, the election, the pandemic, and the Black Lives Matter, and... Yeah. justice reform i mean 
what was going through your head? What are your reflections now? You know, what solutions you would be advocating for? I, I, you know, it, it was an interesting year. I and mean, one of the last major events I went to was the Bernie Sanders rally in San Jose. Mm -hmm. And the last kind of event here at the Capitol was a press conference I held on the Capitol steps for the Racial Justice Act, which is a bill that I introduced and ultimately did end up, did end up getting signed into law uh, last year. Uh, and I think it's interesting because what we saw over the last year and a half or so uh, is inequities that oftentimes have been under the surface be very clearly exposed, that they're undeniable, uh, especially when we're seeing billionaires and the wealthy doing so well. There's a reason why California's tax rules and, and is, is a massive surplus of billions. It's because the wealthy are doing really, really well right now. Uh, but yet we still have people that are homeless, that are struggling, uh, that can't pay rent, uh, whose jobs, you know, their jobs went away. And so I think a big takeaway for this, uh, from this last year, a couple of them, especially in the wake of the torture and murder of George Floyd, is that we have a criminal justice system that has for a long time been um, corrupted um, by its origins, uh, which and its origins are in slavery. Its origins are in maintaining racial and class divisions. We have to recognize that for what it is and be very clear about the intentionality of changing that. And those are difficult conversations to have. Everyone wants to feel safe. What we have to do is redefine what it means to feel safe because at the end of the day, public safety means much more than just whether you know you personally are safe. We have to create a safe community for everyone. Uh, and that includes public health. And we've seen this past year with the pandemic, Latino community, African-American community, um, life expectancy went down dramatically because they were infected with COVID more and they died from COVID more because their underlying health conditions over decades of an, an inequitable, uh, racist and, and socioeconomic unjust, uh, unjust healthcare system. So we have to get behind single payer healthcare now. I have my bill, AB 1400. It's gonna take a massive movement, literally of hundreds of thousands to push back against the billions that are made by the healthcare industry uh, to make it happen. And so uh, that's a clear takeaway from this pandemic. But the other one is worker justice. Uh, right now, um, we, are, we are seeing workers under so much pressure uh, and, and we have to understand that uh, we are in a new gilded age. We're, we're, we're in the late 1800s, so to speak, where we have such massive wealth in the hands of so few. And I know, especially being Indian American and so many in tech and you know, venture capitalists, they wanna you know, exit their company, make a lot of money, whatever it might be, that, that gets a lot of attention. But at the end of the day, this money's not gonna save us. And especially if you think about you know, what we get taught growing up as a Hindu, or if you're sick or Muslim or Christian, I don't care. Or if you don't have a faith and you're brought up by parents that teach you moral lessons, uh, are we abiding by those, that morality? by just hoarding wealth and wanting more and more of it and showing it off and not thinking about the consequences on the planet, on our fellow human being and on ourselves, uh, both uh, ethically, uh, morally, and ultimately in terms of sustainability. Do you care about your grandkids, you know, future uh, on this earth? Or do you think your money is gonna save them? Because that's what a lot of people think. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't, you know, I. I mean, yeah, shit, that's, that's right. Um, there's not much I can argue with there. Um, you know, criminal justice reform, you know, and COVID really exacerbated 
the the underlying inequities in our society right here in the bay area homelessness has skyrocketed san francisco's had that you know chronic issue it's much worse now um so yeah there there, there's some things that that we should do and yes uh cal care uh for uh, ab 1400 we're on it you know it should be a text if you need some help on that uh you know we're, we're gonna make sure that passes yeah, I mean, I, on that one, you know, the nurses are organizing. There's a lot of other organizations organizing healthcare Los Angeles and in Santa Clara County. We have the health, uh, the, the single payer healthcare coalition. Every region will have some kind of organization. But the nurses, you go to their website for California Nurse Association, sign up and get organized now because we have to get uh, as many people in the community on board uh, as we approach January. Yeah, of course. Um, now. The central premise of this channel is to talk about voting rights. Youth, Gen Z, don't know where they got Z from. Uh, should just be Gen A or some, something like that. Well, they got you. Well, you know, the, the, there's a forgotten generation that never gets people talk about boomers and millennials and mm -hmm. Gen Z. Everyone forgets Generation X. It's like we're the ones that have been through it all. <laughs> we don't complain and we just do our work. And it's interesting because there, there's like, you know, there's, there's, it seems like it would be a battle between boomers and millennials. But Gen X, like I, we love the energy from young people. We love seeing, you know, Gen Z and, and we want them to change the world. And, and we're trying to, to, in some cases, we're pushing back against boomers and, and recognizing that, look, you know, we were the beginning of the end in terms of economic stability um, in our society and millennials got screwed. And there's a reason why millennials are pissed off and becoming more and more socialist and, and recognizing that all this wealth, it, did, it didn't go to them, right? And, and um, housing is more expensive, student loans, uh, the planet's on fire. Uh, and so um, we, we need our young people to really be that driving force, uh, especially against the, the excesses of greed and, and wealth. Right. And on that thought, it's a very simple question I'm going to ask. Is voting important? Yeah, absolutely. It's important. And I think that the, the, the quote powers that be those that benefit from the status quo, oftentimes are the ones that plant the seeds that discourage voting, maybe not directly, but they certainly, you know, don't want, I mean, the, the Republican Party does it very explicitly and overtly. Um, but there are other interests that covertly try to discourage participation, at least in a way that's uh, that they discourage participation that counters their narrative. So yes, they want young people to show up and volunteer. Uh, they want young people to show up, um, you know, for, um, you know, campaign rallies for things uh, that, that, that they believe in. But as soon as the Sunrise Movement shows up at their door, as soon as young people are asking the tough questions about why we don't have healthcare for everyone, as soon as they start, they start to ask, wait a second, why do I get all these student loans when you were able to go to college for free? They don't want that kind of activism, right? And so you can't be selective. I want young people to rise up, even if that means that they don't, they're not happy with things that I do, that's okay. Uh, you know, ultimately I wanna be able to hand off um, whatever position of influence and leadership I have to the next generation and, and, and hopefully um, give them a, a, some platform that's stronger than um, the space that I was given as a progressive. Yeah, and, and by you referring to young people, I think you're just talking about me. Um, so <laughs> no, I'm just playing inclusive, inclusive of you. Yeah, of course. Every, every, every young person needs to be involved. 
at some level and at the very least voting. Um, should 16, you know, I'm 17. I'm, I'm pre-registered. I'll be voting in my first election next year in the primary. Should 16, 17-year-olds have the right to vote? Um, in school board, municipal, or should we just give them the right to vote you know, every, in every election? I think at the very least for school board, because yeah. right now what you're seeing is school boards and their their customers don't have a say, so to speak, right? Exactly, right, yeah. And so um, I, I think that if 16-year-olds could vote, it would add a greater level of accountability mm. uh, to school boards. Uh, I think that we, we allow 16-year-olds to drive. Now, there are greater restrictions on, on those younger ages. So I think that, that that parallel argument can be made, okay, why just school board? I think that there's a, the greatest relevance is there mm-hmm. in terms of um, 16 and 17 year olds being able to have a say, but I'm, I'm, I'm open to 16 year olds being able to vote in any election. But I think that that should be coupled with really good um, civics education as well. Yeah, yeah, just a future idea for, for, for any law. Um, We've already had, we did have a bill that would allow 16 year olds to vote for school board, it didn't yeah. make it very far, but it's something I anticipate um, would come back in the future. Yeah, the Canal Act sounds great. Uh, <laughs> uh, but on the topic of voting rights, you know, not necessarily um, the case in California, but we see states like Georgia, Texas enact voter suppression laws um, and voting rights restrictions on minority communities and low um, socioeconomic classes, especially gerrymandered districts. I mean. Give me your thoughts on, on what's going on in regards to voting rights um, and, and how, how we counteract that as, as young, engaged citizens. Well, it's the same thing that's happened since the beginning of this country. You know, they've always done that, especially uh, once slavery was abolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after slavery was abolished, we had the largest um, number, uh, well, obviously in that short period of time, because there were no Black representatives before that but there were a whole slew of black representatives elected as senators, Congress members, mayors. Uh, and so that's when you had post reconstruction and that the clampdown was put down and for a number of decades, then uh, those representatives disappeared again until uh, the civil, civil rights movement. <clears throat> and so this is part of the course. I mean, this voter suppression occurs because the minority wants to rule and the minority wants to rule um, in a way that uh, subjugates um, the, the increasingly diverse population that's occurring. And so minority rule means that quite simply, and I don't necessarily mean minorities, what I mean is they want to make sure that, that- They have a seat at the table. Well, no, what I'm saying is that the, right, right now, the white supremacists and what have you, they want to be able to keep winning while- Understood. Yeah, but with the yeah, less yeah. percentage, with the smaller percentage of the vote, right? Right, that, right, right. That's what's happening right now with the recall election here. They can't win in a general election, so they're going to do a recall and try to win, you know, win the election in a very low voter turnout uh, election. And so it's, a, you know, the, the, what's happening in these other states is quite simply they see the demographic changes. We just saw the numbers from the census. Um, you know, the the majority white population is slowly withering in many of the states. So rather than saying like let's all come together and let me hear from a diverse community, let's hear from women, let's hear. You know what everyone's perspectives are. They don't want to change, so instead they're going to try to suppress as many of those new voters as possible. Uh, ultimately, they're, they're going to lose that numbers game, but in the meantime, they're going to do a lot of damage to our country. Yeah, no, no, I understand that argument. They, it's the same argument why why the right to vote isn't expanded because 
folks want to stay in power and folks know that this is the equation that helps them, right? One plus two will equal three, um, some, something like that. Math is not my strong spoon, you know? <laughs> what is math? Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's, let's, let's go towards closing. Uh, you're, on a, you're on a busy, tight schedule. Uh, what is your advice to the next generation? Gen Z, you're obviously an advocate. You're a proponent of what we believe in. Um, you know, you're enacting these, these progressive changes into law or at least trying to, um, what is your advice to us, you know, coming up, graduating class, you know, some of us are engaged, some of us aren't, some of us don't care. Um, So what would you say to that? Well, I'll say that if you have the ability, first of all, to be able to go to college and not have to worry much about your day-to-day expenses, um, you're privileged. (laughs) And I I do think there's an obligation that comes with that. Uh, So what I would say is, is think about how you can make know those that don't necessarily have that privilege empower them empower their voices uh sometimes the things that you do and the tough choices are uncomfortable it was i had a lot of very uncomfortable conversations with my parents just like any other indian kid they wanted to become a doctor or you know engineer or you know go into tech and you know make a lot of money what have you again that doesn't come out of a bad place because they want to make sure that i'm doing things that are stable and that so i can take care of myself but the difficult conversations I had had to do with the fact that I was passionate about service and I, I wanted to do things that 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 you know were a sacrifice for me. And again, when I say sacrifice, nothing compared to even the sacrifice my parents made to allow me to have those options. But the bottom line is, in order to do things that have great impact, um, you have to give. You have to give of something of yourself. It could be you know, um, you know, giving up of certain opportunities that could make you more money. It could be giving up opportunities that, um, you know, that, frankly, there are decisions I make, things I do that folks that are my friends, you know, they, they, they're not always happy with. When I push for higher minimum wage or I push for more accountability in healthcare industry, well, I know a lot of uh, Indian Americans that, that have, you know, franchises would have you that pay minimum wage or doctors or folks in the healthcare industry. Uh, but my my obligation is not to them. As much as I love everyone to love me and, and be friends with me, my obligation is, is to those who are suffering, those minimum wage workers, to those that are dying because they don't have health care or meaningful access to health care. Uh, and so the decisions I make are easy for me on a philosophical and on a principle basis, but they're difficult in a real life basis. And I have to live with that. And I'm I'm more than happy to live with that, but it takes courage. And so just be courageous and, and don't worry about what other people say, what other people are doing. Don't worry about what career path they're taking because I'm telling you, I'm turning 50 next year. Wow. It goes by, it goes by fast. Right. And that when you look back, you want to be proud of the time you spent and the energy you've spent. Um, you don't get it back. And so, you know, you can choose to chase money, but I would suggest um, chasing things that are more meaningful. And it doesn't mean you won't have money. You can chase things that are meaningful and become very wealthy, uh, but, but don't don't make that your primary driver because um, that's what our society kind of pushes us towards. Right. Yeah, that's that's sound advice, I think. <laughs> um, now, uh, how can viewers stay uh, updated on what you do? If you want to link your Twitter, you're really active. Yeah. I'd be reposting everything. Um, yeah, follow me on uh, Twitter, Ash underscore cholera. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, I'm on TikTok. Um, follow me there as well. And uh, just stay engaged. If you have any questions, you can always you know, 
comment or a DM and I, I respond when I get a chance. And so, yeah, just keep, keep uh, track of what I'm up to and uh, let's keep on moving this progressive movement forward. Right. And, and it's mandatory that anybody who comes on the show must follow me back on these platforms. So that'd be much appreciated. <laughs> but no, is there anything you'd like to add before we log off? No, I, I just appreciate you and, and, and the, the younger generation because the reality is that you are more progressive um, than your parents' generation. Our parents gave us, you know, interestingly, gave us the luxury to be so progressive in a, in a strange way because we get to see the dynamic of our society from a very different angle. Uh, and, and an angle of comfort. Uh, and again, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to use a broad brush, a brush. There are plenty, certainly of South Asians and Indian Americans that struggle economically. We don't want to you know, fall into that model minority trap, but certainly speaking from my own perspective and what the, the, the foundation my parents were able to give, I think that um, you know, we, need to, we need to push with some fire in our, in our belly and some passion um, to push back against what I think is there's some really dire consequences if we remain with the status quo. Right. And the establishment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we do appreciate your insight, your perspective, um, and all the work that you do in the legislator. Um, uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Do take care and have fun. All right. All right. Peace.